3: From KQED. It's the California Report magazine, and on today's show, the Coachella Music Festival. The festival draws hundreds of thousands of concert goers from all over the world who pay a hefty price tag to get through the gates. It's a place people go to see and be seen. But on today's show, we'll see another side of the Coachella Valley by meeting some young locals who tell us about the real Coachella. And they're like, oh, you've been
1: there? And I'm like, I'm from there. And they're blown away. They're like, that's a place? Like, I thought it was just the name of a festival.
3: We'll hear what it's like to work farm fields by day and clean up after festival goers at night. And the environmental struggles of living next to a toxic sea. Plus, how Coachella has its own thriving art scene a world away from the festival. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're spending our show today in the eastern Coachella Valley, just south of Palm Springs. And I'm standing right next to some train tracks in the shadow of some pretty spectacular mountains right on the edge of the Salton Sea. I can see some date palms in the distance. We're next to a great vineyard, and I'm here with my co-host and co-producer.
2: My name is Brian Mendez. Uh, born and raised here in the Easton Coachella Valley. I'm 23 years old, uh, son to immigrant parents who work in the fields. I myself work in the fields, and that's where I got a lot of my knowledge.
3: And Brian, you're also a photographer and a journalist with a youth media project here called Coachella Unincorporated. And I'm really excited because you're going to take us on a tour of your Coachella Valley today. And I see you've brought along your accordion.
2: I'm not a big accordion player, but I guess it's something that I uh, started picking up and I got hooked on because of the, just the beauty of the noise it
3: makes, you know. We're going to start our show today with a story about workers whose day shift is in the fields. And Night Shift is at the Coachella Music Festival. It comes to us from Rebecca Plevin, who covers immigration at the local paper here, The Desert Sun. She's going to introduce us to Enriqueta Magaña, who heads up a farm crew.
4: It's 6.30 a.m., and the sun is just beginning to rise over a vineyard about 15 miles from the city of Coachella. Enriqueta is giving instructions to about a dozen farm
5: workers.
4: She's worked in the vineyards for 20 years, as a field supervisor for the past nine. Today, she's demonstrating how to thin the vines using both hands to snap off small branches.
5: Mirando
4: Enriqueta, who's an immigrant from Michoacán, Mexico, says farm work was the first thing she learned to do in California. And leading a crew of workers has given her a lot of confidence. Entonces, como ahora
5: ya siento que tengo suficiente experiencia y me gusta porque lo sé hacer.
4: But it's not easy. In the desert, temperatures can soar into the triple digits by April. So Enriqueta and her crew wear pants, long-sleeved shirts, big hats, and bandanas to shield themselves from the sun. They start early to beat the heat.
5: Le vamos a echar todas las ganas.
4: We are going to work hard, she tells her crew. It's for the good of all of us. She'll give them similar instructions as they collect trash at the Coachella Festival. She says it's not as hard as field work. It's nothing more than changing the trash bags, she says, like you do in your own house. What is difficult, she says, is the schedule. On Friday nights, she returns from the vineyard around 4 in the afternoon, showers and eats, and then heads out to the festival grounds at the Empire Polo Club. She and her crew clean up after the performances, and by the morning, the grounds are spotless again.
5: Entonces llego, me tomo un café, y me voy al
4: campo. She says she arrives home on Saturday morning, in time to sleep for an hour or so and have a cup of coffee, before starting her field shift. Then she's back to the festival Saturday night, and again on Sunday night, and back to the field Monday morning. She maintains this schedule for three
5: weekends.
4: And by the end, she admits, the routine becomes tiring. The first year she worked at the festival, she experienced some culture shock. People smoked so much marijuana and wore so little clothing. She wondered, why are they wearing bikinis if it's not a beach? Now, after working at the festival for a decade, she's used to the outfits. And she's grown accustomed to how concert goers treat her crew. She says some people offer them tips. Others, though, make the workers feel
5: unwelcome.
4: She says concertgoers have said to her, don't pass by here until we finish eating. She says they just don't want to see the cleaning crew. She suspects some in the audience act like this because they are drunk or high. But still, their behavior stings.
5: They
4: make us feel like we're the trash people, she says, like we're dirty. Enriqueta and her crew make the same amount of money at the festival as they do in the fields. Both jobs pay minimum wage, $11 an hour. But since she and her husband have one kid applying for medical school, one in graduate school, one in college, and one in high school, she takes any extra work she can get. For the California Report, I'm Rebecca Plevin in the eastern Coachella Valley.
3: Rebecca and a photographer from the Desert Sun will be following the Magana as she travels from the fields to this year's festival. We'll post a link to her article at californiareport.org. What a lot of festival-goers may not know is that the eastern Coachella Valley is home to its own thriving alternative music scene, one without long lines, expensive ticket prices, or the searing daytime sun.
2: We're out here. We're desert people, you know, like the nighttime when it's
3: fresh, when we all come out and play. KQED's Marisol Medina Cadena tells us about one of those beloved hometown bands. It's called Ocho Ojos. I'm 15 minutes from the resorts
0: and hotels of Palm Springs, but this bar I'm in next to a nail salon and an electronics repair shop feels like a world away. Through a thick cloud of machine-made smoke, I see four dudes on stage. They're all dressed in matching white button-down shirts, black jeans, and white patent leather shoes, like the kind Chambalana's wear for a quinceanera.
1: If you look good, you feel good, and if you feel good, you play good.
0: That's Danny Torres, the synth player. He and the band's co-founder wear thick black glasses. So their name, Ocho Ojos, meaning eight eyes, came naturally.
2: We are Ocho Ojos. Tonight, it's called El Baile Trankis. Are y'all feeling Trankis?
0: This monthly party that Ocho Ojos puts on is called Baile Trankis, a night of chilling and dancing.
2: It's like a Latin night, but we don't call it that because, I mean, that's who we are. Even if it wasn't a Latin night, aquí estuvieron puros latinos, pura raza. so it's a Latin night every night.
0: <laughs> that's James Gustellum, the bass player. He tells me that out here in Coachella Valley's underground music scene, where punk, metal, and surf rock thrive, it's pretty rare to hear Latin music like this. And it's different than the cumbia you might hear at a family party. These guys have ditched the acoustic guitar and accordion for a synthesizer and a wah pedal to create a trippy electronic sound. One of the fans in tonight's crowd is Max Lopez. He's a hardcore rocker dude with long hair and all black clothes. He's usually more into metal, but he says he can still rock out to Ocho Ojos.
2: Almost like a delegado, you know, and with cumbia background, I was like, you know, I'm gonna give this a try, you know, and I loved it. You know, like, I really found that I flowed with it, you know, and it's,
0: like, natural. That's because Ocho Ojos takes their gritty sound from chicha, a style of cumbia that originated in the Peruvian Amazon in the late 60s and 70s, a kind of soundtrack of empowerment for indigenous migrants who moved to Peru's urban cities at the time. While many Peruvians looked down on the working-class chicha scene, today, This music is inspiring a new wave of young Latinx bands across California. And like Peru's teacher musicians who sing about daily struggle and hometown pride, so do the members of Coachella's Ocho Ojos. Here's guitarist and vocalist Cesar Flores.
1: We have a song called Avenida 52. Avenue 52 is the street that goes from uh, La Quinta all the way to the city of Coachella.
0: And fans like Antonio Duran say they hear their own family's migration story in the music.
2: Our parents have worked hard for us to be where we are, to be musicians, to be artists, to be whatever the heck we want to be. And that is the most important part of being from Coachella, is that your parents paved the way.
0: To make something out of nothing. A lesson the band and their fans didn't just learn from the East Valley's backyard rock and punk scene, but from their parents' hustle born out of necessity.
1: Well, like they would say in Spanish, no hay de otra, there's no other way. We just have to keep on going.
0: That's Ocho Ojos drummer Rafael Rodriguez. He says the group speaks to U.S.-born Latinx oscillating between two cultures and languages.
2: Hey, ¿tienen miedo? ¿Qué pedo? Uh, Acérquense, get a little closer, y'all. We're all, we're all here to have a good time. Come and join us over here on the dance floor.
0: No one in this 20 and 30 something crowd is Instagramming the moment. Actually, nobody has their phones out. All attention is to the stage. It's like we're all under this cumbia spell, just taking in these hypnotic twangy riffs that kind of sound like a thunderstorm happening in outer space. I ask people in the crowd how they feel about the big Coachella Fest that shares the same name as their city. A lot of folks tell me it's pretty sweet to hear world-famous musicians practically play in their backyard, but think the organizers could do more to invest in local talent, especially from the Latinx community. Bass player James remembers being a teen unable to afford the ticket. So, like a lot of locals, He'd listen from a distance.
6: I would just stand outside of it and you could still see like some of the screens from like certain angles, like of the stages.
0: But this year is different. He and the other members of Ocho Ojos get to be inside the festival, as part of the official lineup, listed beneath Bad Bunny and Ariana Grande. This moment is huge for their fans too. Max, the rocker dude you heard earlier? says when festival-goers and outsiders hear Ocho Ojos...
2: They're listening to us. That's the beautiful part about it, like I said.
0: Real people from the Coachella Valley, not imported talent. We
1: got one more. This one's called Cumbia de Este Valle.
0: Ocho Ojos closes their set with a crowd favorite. It's an ode to the desert back roads, agricultural fields, and the Salton Sea the fertile grounds that have shaped this psychedelic cumbia band into who they are today. For The California Report, I'm Marisol Medina-Cadena in the eastern Coachella Valley.
2: So right now we're passing up different types of vegetables, you know, and people are working in their fields, and the road's a little muddy. so we have to drive kind of fast. So there's a lot of bumps in the middle.
3: Yeah, sometimes the farm workers here get stuck in the mud and can't make it to work. Brian, that's something that I learned from watching your documentary, which taught me about so many things that I didn't know about the eastern Coachella Valley. You co-produced it with your partner, Olivia Rodriguez, and we're going to meet her now. Olivia's Coachella Valley meant growing up in a crowded trailer in this mobile home park. Some of the trailers here have plywood covering holes in the walls. Olivia still lives here today with her parents, her twin sister, and her sister's two young kids. Surrounded by fields, far from streetlights, supermarkets, cell phone service. Like We
1: can't even connect to like the internet, so like for you to be on the internet on your phone that much, you really have to go out of your way and drive somewhere. We're lacking a lot of things, but it's such a beautiful place just because of the people
3: that are here and our our surroundings. Olivia loves how bright the stars shine here, and mostly the silence. But lately, there's been a different kind of sound piercing the quiet out here. Olivia takes me down the dirt road a little bit to see a racetrack for luxury cars. It's part of an ultra-exclusive resort adjacent to a private airport. 15,000 square foot weekend homes with huge garages for car collectors just across the lettuce field from Olivia's trailer park.
1: It's an escape for them. It's like the desert for them. It's kind of like this place that they can go and get the little piece of paradise. And for us, it's kind of a reality. It's
3: such a huge contrast because you look across the street, you see lettuce fields, you see uh, porta potties for the farm workers. You see the cars that farm workers are driving, and inside these walls, they're driving Lamborghinis. It's really aggravating, Olivia says, that the only paved roads with streetlights near her house have been built for this racetrack. It does get,
1: like, infuriating to see that, that it's like, you're making the sidewalks, the streets better for these people that are just coming for, like, one day, and we've been here all our lives. We don't even get to have a sidewalk to go to the bus stop. Like, our students are walking through the mud.
3: As we head back to her trailer, Olivia's dad, Vicente, comes out with two glasses of strawberry lemonade, made fresh from his garden. This is the lemonade that he makes. He Vicente was a high school math teacher in Mexico. His wife was a skilled technical artist. They both came here to find jobs, but ended up working in the fields. Sometimes he says as he stooped in the vines, he would think I could be sitting behind a desk right now teaching He apologizes for getting emotional. He tells me he's kind of a cry baby These are happy tears he says here my kids can get an education Olivia graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in biology and now she's getting her master's in public health. The film she produced with Brian is called Estamos Aquí, or We Are Here, and it looks at the environmental and health impacts of the nearby Salton Sea.
7: As the toxic dust picks up, so do asthma rates and respiratory illnesses, and still this is our reality, the dream we cannot escape.
1: I think it really changes that whole, like, someone telling the stories for us and shifting it to, like, we can tell it ourselves. We can tell you best, like, what our community is like. There's so much beauty and resilience and strength in our community. There's no one else better to tell it than people who who are from the community. ¶¶
3: Long before the Coachella Music Festival started back in 1999, Hollywood and the entertainment industry had been using the Salton Sea as a backdrop. Rudolph Valentino shot the silent film The Sheik in the Desert here in 1921. And the Salton Sea appears in lots of movies, including 1957's The Monster That Challenged the World.
7: An
1: upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean a reptilian earth-shaking beast of the sea
7: the monster that challenged the world
3: brian and olivia take me to the salton sea to the famous bombay beach with its white sand in the 1940s and 50s, this place had more visitors than Yosemite. It was a playground for Hollywood celebrities through the 1960s.
2: So it would be super fancy, you know, you would have the Rat Pack out here, the Beach Boys out here. There used to be like like a resort here where they used to have pools and they had a yacht club where people would come in with their yachts and like their fancy stuff and just park
3: and have a drink, swim in the pool. But after only a few decades, people started to abandon those resorts. Today, the Salton Sea is only an enticing blue from a distance. If you get up close, it's murky. Pesticides from nearby farms have poisoned the water and there's not as much new water flowing in from the Colorado River. So the Salton Sea is basically this huge lake that's been shrinking, drying up for years, causing massive fish and bird die-offs. And the white sand beaches, it turns out, aren't exactly sand. What are all these little shells or.
2: It's bones. So the. And you can see these are the ones that go in the center of the spine.
3: Oh, those are little fish vertebrae? Mm hmm. Wow. So they're all lower the pace, of like. And it stinks. A few years ago, the Salton Sea even burped up a sulfur smelling cloud that was so big. Residents 150 miles from here in LA caught a whiff of rotten eggs. Is that a little bird skull?
2: Yeah, you see them everywhere.
3: For the communities right here on the edge of this sea, that stench has pushed the real estate prices down. Brian shows me these weird crumbling remains of beach shacks, abandoned hotels, and the docks where celebrities used to park their yachts. Brian and Olivia documented them for their film, which featured a local spoken word artist named Verso Loco.
2: Brian
3: and Olivia both say, despite the decay, they find a lot of beauty here. Watching the clouds reflect on the water, looking out at the mountains in the distance. I always feel at home whenever I'm
1: I'm standing next to the salt sea. I feel like at peace too, and I feel like this calm, just happiness, but also like as I look at it, I know this it's like in a sense of emergency, of something that needs to be taken care of, like, as soon as possible.
3: Brian and Olivia made their film to amplify the voices of people living near this sea. They take me to meet a woman they interviewed for the film who lives just a mile from here, in North Shore. Her name is Conchita Polar, and she's frantically sweeping the dust from outside her house
6: pues cuando mucho viento
3: When the wind picks up, she says, there's so much dust we can't go outside. But in the spring and summer, it all blows in the house when we turn the air
6: conditioning on. Conchita
3: says her kids get nosebleeds all the time when it gets dusty like this. Scientists don't know exactly what the dust from the salt and does to human lungs, but many locals like Conchita, suspect it's making high asthma rates here, even worse hace
6: sentir mal de que.
3: This beautiful salt and sea, she says, is dying. And as that happens, she says, it's making people sick. Conchita's house has become a gathering spot for her neighbors who want to take action about the environmental issues here. She welcomes a dozen of them to a meeting under the carport next to her house. She's setting up folding chairs and has brought out bottles of water for everybody.
5: <laughs>
3: Conchita tells a story about traveling a long way to try and speak at a meeting of scientists and policymakers. She says she never got her turn to tell them about how the dust blows into
6: her house. They
3: didn't respect my voice, she says. And those of us who live here by the sea, we should matter just as much as the people who live in places like Los Angeles.
6: We all matter.
3: Maybe
6: if I had a doctorate, she says,
3: or maybe, I hate to say it, if I had blue eyes and blonde hair, I would have been treated differently.
6: It's no se me tratara como se me trató ese día.
3: Conchita is purapacha, an indigenous group from the state of Michoacán in Mexico. She teaches embroidery and traditional dance classes, and she's also teaching her kids how to speak their native language.
6: Dios, Dios, Mayemuc, Mayangu, Yamint, Yamint, Engats, Ikants. I'm
3: proud to be indigenous, she says and I tell my
6: daughters they should be too de California
3: or in English that's you're listening to the California report Olivia and Brian say lawmakers who come to snap pictures of the Salton Sea don't seem to pay much attention to the people who actually live here. Neither do many of the concertgoers who come to the annual music festival. Took that name, Coachella. We profited
1: so much from this location, from this community. Like, why don't they invest some of it back in the community, you know?
3: Olivia says she's shocked about the comments she gets when she's out of town, wearing the T-shirt from her youth journalism group, Coachella, unincorporated, and they're like, "Oh, you've been there,"
1: and I'm like, "What do you like to the festival?" I was like, "I'm from there," and they're blown away. They're like, "That's a place!" Like I thought it was just the name of a festival.
2: I feel like it doesn't trickle down, you know. Mm -hmm. I think the people making the money as the people that own businesses, and that's mostly not the people with my color skin, you know.
3: By the way, we reached out to Golden Voice, the company that puts on Coachella Fest, to ask them about some of these critiques, but they declined an interview. To make his point about how important local businesses are to the community, Brian takes me on one final stop to his favorite local joint. It's an ice cream parlor called Sabores, or Flavors in Spanish. It doesn't get a lot of foot traffic from festival goers in its strip mall location in downtown Coachella, but it does get a lot of love from locals, and it's thriving. Brian thinks it's one of Coachella's hidden gems, and so is its owner, Jesse Garcia Jr.,
2: Hey, Jesse.
4: We make all our ice cream from scratch, including our shaved ice, in-house.
3: Jesse got his start working in local kitchens, catering to tourists at different country clubs and resorts. He eventually left to train as a chef in Paris, and that's where he learned a lot about ice cream. But he always dreamed of opening up a scoop shop for locals in his hometown of Coachella. The concept of sabores is that all the flavors are crowdsourced from customers. As a result, they are very unique.
2: You know, they started going with a lot of the Mexican pastries, which is a gancito, the, the mazapan ice cream. What is a gancito? Think of a, a Twinkie covered in chocolate filled with strawberry and cream filling.
3: Mazapan, another Mexican candy, very flaky, peanut based uh, flavor in it. So, what is a, a sandia enchilada? It's the Mexican candy. It's a watermelon candy
4: covered in chili, made it into a shaved ice.
2: That's what we usually get because it's so good. There's a lot of love into it. You can taste it.
3: I go ahead and order that spicy watermelon ice cream in a special creation Jesse calls the Mangoneada Preparada. Basically, it's three giant scoops of Jesse's homemade ice cream in a cup, layered with chamoy, which is a salty, sweet sauce, and then some tahin chili mixed with salt, And finally, fresh mango, garnished with a bunch of different tamarind chili candies. I won't need my dinner after this, huh? It's a big one. I dig in, all that tangy chili and sweet mango bursting together into an authentic flavor of the Coachella Valley.
2: That's the California Report Magazine, our special Coachella edition. This week's show was collaborated with us at Coachella Incorporated, a youth media project of the Youth Leadership Institute. Special thanks to Amber Amaya and Paulina
3: Rojas. And thanks also to Julie Mackinnon at The Desert Sun. And to our partners at KCOD, College of the Desert, which airs our show in Coachella. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, and we had additional engineering help this week from Rob Spate. Our director is Susie Racho. Our intern is Asala Sanapur. Our online producer is David Marks. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor, and our editorial team also includes Julia Scott, Marisol Medina Cadena, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Coca.
2: I am Brian Mendes, and thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine your state,
4: your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2020 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvine.org. College Futures Foundation, more graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and
7: NPR.